0: Good morning, church. Well, I was inspired by that uh, announcement video. How many of you would like to see me preach this morning in Spanish? See. That's all I know. (laughs) I was waiting a second to see if the Holy Spirit might kick in, but nope, not today. He's going to kick in just in English, so uh, we'll keep this simple. I was also inspired by our our, uh, contribution talk this morning. Do you know how well I sleep at night with 87,000 new IRS agents? I have Phil Geiger in my corner. I'm sleeping good. You can get 150,000 IRS agents. You have a son of the almighty God looking after my affairs i sleep well at night you know they told me in preaching school never apologize at the beginning of a lesson you may have to apologize at the end of a lesson but never at the beginning but i'm going to break that rule today when i was here the last time uh in an attempt to get back at roger deloach i threw the whole state of arkansas under the bus you remember that Well, it turns out my former intel people, I've gotten rid of them, I found out that Roger's not even from Arkansas. So Jeremy's going to go back and add and put Missouri in all those jokes. So just so you know, I love Arkansas. In fact, since to make up for my sin, I'm going to give you some of my favorite places in the state of Arkansas. All right. Some of these you probably visited. One is Mount Magazine, Arkansas. Beautiful place. How many of you have been to Mount Magazine? A few of you in here. Fantastic. Tallest place between the Allegheny and the Rocky Mountains. Right there in Arkansas. It's beautiful. Been there a couple of times. Um, Bentonville, Arkansas. Home of Walmart. Right? Now, a lot of people have mixed feelings about Walmart. But for the Duck Commander crew, we love Walmart. They got us on the map. And so we used to love our trips up there. Selling Duck Calls, Lake DeGray, Arkansas. How many of you ever been to Lake DeGray? One of our favorite places, right? We've been making memories at Lake DeGray for over 20 years at our marriage retreats and marriage refreshes, so I love Lake DeGray. Junction City, Arkansas is another one. That's where I grew up, and so that's my first memory of school and my first memory of so many different things. And not every memory was great from Junction City. There's a movie coming out about that, September, but that's also where eventually we came to Christ because we came here from Junction City. And some of my great spiritual nourishment I got, but I will say it was on the Louisiana side of Junction City, uh, where our own Don Osman uh, still preaches. Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Have you have ever been to Pine, Pine Bluff. You know why I love Pine Bluff? Because it makes your city look great. I mean, no offense if you're from Pine Bluff. I'm just saying when you go there, you come home, you're like, eh, it's not so bad, right? And then finally, the last one is Pocahontas, Arkansas. Uh, Not just named after a famous Indian princess, but also the hometown of our very own Mike Kellett, right? We get to hear all those stories from mike about pocahontas i've been there with mike a couple of times great folks who are there love to go to pocahontas uh mike tells all kinds of stories my favorite one that he tells is when he was a young buck in high school he was working at the filling station there right in the middle of pocahontas and that was back in the day you know where you put in the gas and you clean the windshield and you did all the work for the person and these out-of-towners come through and they said hey young feller Can you tell me how to get to Nashville? Oh, Kellett, he beamed. He said, sure. Try singing through your nose. Thank you, Paul, for getting that. (laughs) That never happened, and I just did it again. Now I have to apologize next time I'm back up. Uh, Kenley, where are you at? Kenley Patrick, come on up. Kinley is eight years old. She loves to read, and she's very creative. Is what my new Intel people tell me. So uh, we're going to let her read our scripture today. May God give you heavens to do and the earth richness and a ab- and abundance of grain and new wine. Way to go! Give it up for Kinley. Great job. excellent job kenley thank you so new wine uh, we just sang about it uh, and also that is the title of my lesson today last week mike did a, a great job showing us that picture That's a great theme in the book of luke about how jesus is willing to touch the untouchable right those things the world those people and the things the world looks at and says you know what we don't accept you, we don't love you, we don't want you to be part of our group. And Jesus says, you know what, that's the sort of people that I want. I want the people that other people reject. I thought Kayla, I was watching on live stream last week, and she made such a great point. She said, you know, he, we already know from the book of Luke that he doesn't have to touch people, but he chose to touch people in their healing. And that's us, right? Uh, Back when Mac Owen was here, Mac used to always say, and, and I don't know that this was necessarily said as a compliment, but we took it as one. Oh, send those folks to White's Ferry Road. They'll take anybody. And I love that. Isn't that the church you want to be? The one that says, we'll take anybody? No person is too far, no love is too far gone that it can't be rekindled by the power of Jesus So last week at the end of Mike's lesson, and this is where I want to pick up today, uh, he talked about the calling of Levi, Matthew. And really this calling sort of symbolizes Jesus' new approach. Because we know that Matthew was a tax collector, uh, IRS agent, I'll bring it up again, because, you know, he was an outcast. He was one who was looked at by other people and looked down upon, And when he came to follow Jesus, not only did Jesus reach out and touch him as now a follower, but they had a big party for Matthew to invite all of his tax collector friends to come in and to meet Jesus. And this was the ushering in of something new and something different. And so where we get to today in in Luke, in Luke 5 and 6... We get to this point where now the opposition begins to rise up against Jesus. And that's what happens when something new comes along. Especially even though you've been looking for it, you missed it. So we're going to talk a lot today about what I call the old guard. Now the old guard is a mix. Pharisees, teachers of the law, experts in the law, scribes. They're the people that all this time for hundreds of years, even back thousands have been talking about the Messiah, have been looking for the Messiah, have been reading the prophecies, have been sharing with the people, making up a few of their own rules along the way. And then when he gets here, guess what happens? They miss him. I mean, right there in front of him. Now, the old guard, especially the Pharisees, they trace back to the days of Daniel. And, you know, Daniel would have been probably the beginner of these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We love those stories from Daniel, right? People who were willing to stand up for what was right, even when the culture around them was trying to force them to do something different. That's where these guys started. Now, that's a good, noble thing, right? I mean, we love those guys, and we love them. They wanted separation from an idolatrous culture. They wanted purity from sinful indulgence. They wanted strict adherence to the law of God. All good. The problem is over 600 years, when you're looking for the Messiah and he shows up, you make up a lot of your stuff along the way. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. It began to be more about what we think, what we say, how we interpret, what you need to do because we're telling you to do. And so they took simple truths and they became very legalistic in their application. And after a while, even when the Messiah would show up, they were missing because they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. And so that's what we begin to see now in our text. And this is going to dog us all the way up until the cross, this sort of mindset. Luke is going to highlight the difficulty with this old guard with three questions. The first one came in Mike's sermon last week, and that's where we begin today, in Luke chapter 5, and verse 30. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, remember, started great, good ideas, separation from culture, but now we've turned it into something different. They said to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, of course, answers this by saying, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, and he didn't add this, but he could add, or the self-righteous like you, but sinners to repentance, of which they were, right? What Jesus essentially said is, I am a new table. In fact, I am the new table. When you talk about fellowship. When you talk about coming together, when you talk about outreach, when you talk about opportunities, that's me. You see, this old guard, all of their ideas around the table were separation. We had the seats of honor here, and we had you over here, and we have you way back in the back, and we have you outside. You don't even get to come in to hear what we're going to say. They were about division, separation. Jesus had a table of welcome. We experienced it this morning. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's an open table of welcome to proclaim Jesus until he returns. You see, his table is about restoration. His table is about honor and acceptance and love. He is the table. We're going to see this later in Luke 15. We get there. You know, that whole thing started out with this same question. Why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? Why would you do that? And then Jesus gives them three parables about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. But, you know, the parable was really written for the older son in the story who represented this mindset, the party pooper, the one, again, who wanted to keep people out of the celebration, away from the table. They don't deserve it, but I do. I don't even get a goat, but this sinner gets a lamb. It's the mindset. They miss the new table. The second question they ask is Luke 5, verse 33. Right after this, they're continuing in the same theme, and they say John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do our disciples, the disciples of the Pharisees. And here's their implied question. But why do yours go on eating and drinking? So first off, it's you're not eating with the, the right people, and now you're not abstaining as we are. Why is that? Why are you not as good as we are? That was the question. Jesus responds by telling him he's new wine. Look what he says. In Luke 5, verse 34, Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? First thing he says is, I'm here. You know, and this is an amazing statement. You may not have really thought it through. But all the prophecies and everything of the Old Testament, everything the old guard was about, and even everything that John the Baptist was about, was pointing towards the coming of the Messiah. Now he's here, and your question is, why aren't you sad like us and in repentance and sackcloth and ashes waiting the coming Messiah? He's here. Would you go to a wedding and not celebrate? Would you go there to fast? Would you go there to cause shame on those getting married? That's his point. Here, I'm here. He goes on to say, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, his disciples, in those days they will fast. Oh, a fast is coming. He gives them a little bit of a glimpse of what he came here to do. Now, I don't know this because the scripture doesn't say it, but I'm only guessing that from the moment Jesus was arrested until his resurrection, I bet you the disciples didn't eat a bite of food. Everything they had looked for and worked for and thought was going to happen, they thought didn't happen. And there was a fast. They thought he was gone. Until Easter Sunday. And this when the feasting began. You remember in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus? Jesus appears with two of the disciples and they're walking along and He's asked them questions, and they don't recognize who he is, and they're telling him what happened, and where have you been, and I can't believe you missed this. And then he started just telling them about the Messiah and about what Jesus had to come here and do. And they listened, and they said afterwards that their hearts burned inside them because they knew it was true, and they knew it was happening. And you remember what they did? They went and sat around a table. Jesus broke the bread. And when they began to eat, their eyes were open, and they saw who he was. And then he was gone. Just like that. The Son of God had come, had died, and been resurrected. And now the feasting began. You remember what happened right after that in Luke 24? He goes, he appears with the other disciples. All of a sudden, he's in the room. Everybody says, oh, I can't believe it. He's here. He said, y'all got something to eat? They brought out some fish. They ate a meal together. Feasting. And then he looked at them and he shared with them. And the Bible says their hearts were opened. Because now they understood what they needed to do. A feast. Not a fast. Because now Jesus has come. The bridegroom is here. The bride of Christ is to go and be a part of the celebration and tell other people. You remember on the banks of the Sea of Galilee in John 21, great miraculous catch. Peter jumps in the water. He comes over, and Jesus, once again, has prepared a meal. His table is open. And as they ate those fish, Peter is restored, and Peter understands what he is supposed to do. And here we sit, 2,000 plus years later, still feasting. In Jesus Christ the days of fasting and repentance now are only to make sure that we see him which is what the old guard failed to do he told him a parable in verse 36 he said no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one otherwise they will torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old and no one pours new wine into old wineskins you know, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around wineskins. but it's just think wine bottles, what he's talking about, for their day. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Aging, right? So he makes an interesting point to these people. He tells the old guard, I am the new me, the one you've been looking for, the fulfillment of all things old, the future for all of us, the way, the truth, and the life. And he starts it out by saying, I am the new cloth. That's him, the new cloth. Dad used to have a an old Browning shirt. It looked like a burlap bag, and he loved that shirt. And so, you know, you change sponsors in our world, and now we have another sponsor, and so the guys at the business were always trying to get Dad, well, they were trying to get me to help Dad get rid of that shirt because it wasn't a sponsored shirt anymore, right? We were Under Armour guys and Benelli and all these new companies. And Dad loved this shirt so much that he would take brand-new Under Armour camo shirts, and cut pieces of it off and patch that burlap bag. And the more they pressed me and pressed him, the more he stubbornly wore that shirt. He loved that shirt. So imagine my surprise when I went to him and told him they were, he was being put into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, a great honor, and they wanted something of his to put on a mannequin in a museum. So I was expecting one of those Under Armour shirts with a bunch of holes in it now that he'd cut out. But he gave me that old burlap bag. And now it hangs proudly in Natchitoches, Louisiana. We are new in Christ. We don't wear the old. We don't take the patchwork. It's him. Paul said in Galatians 3, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We wear him now as a garment. He is the renewal of our lives for other people to see. Paul said in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. We're a new wineskin as well. A new vessel. A new temple. A new tabernacle. A new home for the Holy Spirit of God. He lives in us. New. And you can't take just a little of it. What the old guard wanted to do was just take a little bit of a patch of what Jesus represented as the Messiah and put it on the old. But that's not the way it works. Jesus says, I am the new wine. In Luke twenty-two twenty, when Jesus was at that supper with the disciples, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That song we sang about the pressing and the crushing. That's what Jesus did for us. This week, go and read Isaiah 53 as your homework to see what your Savior and mine did for us. He is new wine that was crushed for us. Romans 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That same crushing that Jesus went through, he now pours into us through his Holy Spirit. You see, not only wine made, but wine poured into us. Here's what Paul said about it in Philippians 2.17 when describing his own life near the end. If I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. You know the best thing about being new wine is that we get to pour it out and serve it for the world to see. For people's lives to be changed and to be different. Isn't that what John meant in Revelation 12:11? When he says that the blood of Jesus is what empowers us in the word of our testimony to tell other people what he did for us. And it changes us so much that we wouldn't shrink back even from death itself because we would pour that wine out for the world to see. What God has done for you and me. And yet here were these stubborn old guard that missed it. Why do you eat with people like that? Why do you eat at all? That takes us to the third question. And man, this is a good one. Jesus' answer. Luke 6, 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. His disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. It was a first century snack. Right? You know, popcorn, popcorn. Stuff you like to eat. That's what it was. Going through, they get them. They rubbing their hands and oh, this is delicious. Some of the Pharisees asked, Here's their third question: Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? How would you like it when you get your popcorn and make it in your microwave and sit down in your recliner, ready to enjoy a ball game, and someone comes in and says, "Why are you eating popcorn on the Sabbath?" Oh, God. I love Jesus' answer. Not only am I the new table and the new wine, I'm the new Sabbath, the new rest. Here's how he answered them. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat about what about-ism. He also gave some to his companions. He's telling a story from 1 Samuel 21. David, who, by the way, was the anointed and yet unrecognized king, went into the house of God, ate consecrated bread because he was hungry, and it happened on the Sabbath. And Jesus was complimenting him for doing it. Do you know why he was complimenting him for doing it? Because he was there when it happened. In heaven, watching. Take that, old guard. I made the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. That's what he said next. Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here you are, missing me. You got all your little rules and all your little things that you've made up and all the things you've added to what I gave to Moses. And I was there, and now you're going to tell me? What my disciples can and cannot do on the Sabbath? Missed it. How are you that close to Jesus and miss it? So we now he's going to prove it to him. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. He's teaching. A man there had a right hand that was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they're not even listening to what he's saying. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Can you imagine? You got this guy, he's got the shriveled hand. You don't care about him. You don't care if he ever uses that hand again. And if the hand happened to get healed because it was a Sabbath, you're going to be unhappy about this man's healing. Can you imagine having that mindset? That's what happened. But Jesus, see, he's got the Jedi, knew what they were thinking. So he looks over to the man and he says, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Jesus then called him out. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? Oh, man, he's got him now. How do you answer that? He looked at all of them and he looked at the man and he said stretch out your hand and he did and the bible says his hand was fully restored that man left there that day being able to use that hand for the glory of god and i would be willing to make you a bet that he gave god glory for the rest of his life now being able to serve with a restored hand What Jesus did was what he does best. He takes that which is broken and he fixes it. And yet here are these people, the old guard, sitting there thinking, can you believe he just did that on the Sabbath? You see, their perspective was all wrong. They thought that Yahweh had made the Sabbath and then they were supposed to then show you how great they were For that special holy day. But they missed it. Yahweh and Jesus and the Holy Spirit made the Sabbath as a blessing for us. To rest in him. Totally missed it. Missed it for hundreds of years. So much so that you could see the power of Jesus Christ. And you would be upset. In Mark's account, he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Can you imagine, folks, what we could accomplish for the kingdom of God if we just understood that we don't have to do this on our own, that he's already done it? All the back and forth and the how bad am I and the looking at ourselves and just continually throwing ourselves under the bus and saying, you know, you can't do it. That's what they missed. We don't want to miss that today. Don't become part of the old guard where you sit around looking for people that are doing something that you think is wrong. Look for the victory of Jesus Christ, not only in your own life, but the lives of others. You see what he's called us to? That's why he said, come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. That doesn't mean to sit around and eat bonbons. That's rest from your own salvation. Because trust me, you're going to be busy after that. Telling other people where to find that rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble. And find rest for your souls. Dad says this all the time, and he's right. Peace of mind is the greatest quality. To have that peace of mind. To understand I'm a saved son of God. Or a daughter. Well, restored people help restore other people. How did the old guard take this? Not well. Luke six eleven closes with this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. Furious. Somebody has been healed up in here today, and I'm not happy about it. Some man has use of his hand, and I'm not happy. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus, the man who had just restored a shriveled hand. Oh, what are we going to do to this man? Once again, the old guard has asked the wrong question. What they should have been asking was, what are we going to do with Jesus? How are we going to follow him? That was the right question. The book of Hebrews is written as a great warning to the old guard. I mean, it's a great book. It talks about him being a better table, a better bridegroom, a better sacrifice, a better covenant, a better tabernacle, a better temple. Better, better, better. And he is better. But they missed him. The question for you today is what will you do with Jesus? You see, he died for you and for me. He was raised for us. He's in heaven where he mediates for us, preparing a place for us. Representing us in heaven. That's why he's there. And he promised he would come back to take us with him. That's what Jesus did for us. New wine, new table, new rest. What will you do with him? If you've never embraced Christ, you've never made the decision to follow him, You've been part of an old guard without even realizing it. Today is the day to humble yourself before Him. What will you do with Jesus? Embrace Him. Believe in Him. Commit to Him. Commit to others that you're going to follow Him. Be immersed in water to show that new life is forevermore so that the Holy Spirit can live in you. You want some new wine? It's available. All you got to do is come to him. Why don't you do that while we stand and while we sing?